Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. On today's broadcast, Andrew will be sharing about the importance of having a biblical worldview. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Friday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today is the end of a four-week series that I've done on biblical worldview. I think this has to be one of the most important things I've ever taught. It is awesome. And this last week, I've been teaching on the fallen nature of man, which goes against nearly everything that our world system today believes. And because of this, it leads them to wrong actions, wrong conclusions, thinking that if they just give people more money, if they just you know, throw a little bit more effort at the problem, everything will just work its way out. No, men are basically evil unless they have had their nature changed by God. The answer to the world's problem is not more money, more education. It's getting right with God and receiving a brand new nature. Remember that today is my last day to teach on this on my television program. So please watch this video today. And then at the end of the program, I'll come back and encourage you about getting these materials. And I tell you, it, it does something to arrogance when you understand, when you get a revelation of the fallen nature of man, and even after you're born again, that you still have a lot of those things that were implanted in you, that pro were programmed in you when you had that sinful nature. You're still in the process of renewing yourself. It keeps you from being swelled up in pride. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 and also Proverbs 16, 25 says the same thing. It says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Notice the end is singular, and there are the ways, plural, of death. There's only one end result of doing it your own way. You might be smarter than me, more talented than me. You may be a smoother talker than me. You may have all of these things. It doesn't matter. You may get there a different way, but if you and I just do things on our own, the end result is death. The only way to truly prosper is to find an end to yourself and start trusting God. This is a verse that the Lord has used in my life really in a big way. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself, it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And if you read this in context, Jeremiah was prophesying that the nation of Israel would be overcome because of their rejection of the Lord and that God would bring an uh, enemy against them that would come in and destroy their nation, uh, kill the people and all of this. And he just starts lamenting, God, how could this happen? How could this happen to the people that at one time were the apple of your eye, the joy of the whole earth, how could they fall from this position? And then he says, because the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his steps. These people at one time, the Israelites were uh, oppressed. They were slaves and they, they couldn't do anything on their own. They had to look unto God and they trusted God. And because of it, God promoted them. But then in their prosperity, they began to start thinking that somehow or another they deserved this, that they were accomplishing these things on their own. 
and they begin to fall. And it was because they thought they could direct their own steps. There's probably some people watching this right now that you think, but I'm better than you, and I'm well-educated, and I've got so many talents, I can do this on my own. I can guarantee you, you will crash and burn. One of the things that was a real blessing in my life, I didn't recognize it at the time, but when I first got started in ministry, nobody had come to my church. Nobody had listened to me, and so I had to go out and find people that I could start ministering to, and the Lord opened up opportunities for me to go into the prisons and into nursing homes. And these nursing homes especially were really beneficial to me because I would see people. I remember this one woman who was a Methodist pastor's wife, and she was always dressed to the nines. She had a lot of money. She was always dressed in nice clothes. She always had her hair fixed. She was very old at that time, and she would just sit there all day long crying and saying, I used to be somebody special. People used to come, and she was living in the past, and the Lord used that to show me that she had done these things in herself, in her own ability. She was doing it for the praise, for the acceptance of people. And now that she was in her old age and that she was no longer productive the way that she had been, nobody ever came to see this woman. She would go weeks and years without anybody coming to see her, and I was one of the very few people that would go visit with her. And it was good for me to see that. And I think it's good for every one of us to recognize that, you know, you may be at the top of your game, and you may be young, and you may be strong, and you may just have people falling at your feet, and you may have your mantle filled with all kinds of awards and trophies and stuff, but I can guarantee you, if nothing else, there will come a day that you'll get old, and you won't be at the top of your game, and if you were just living out of yourself and from your own ability, then you're going to enter into all of the depression, the discouragement, the hurt, the pain, the loneliness. But if it was God living through you, if God is the one who is sustaining you, and if that's what makes your life count, well, He'll be the same in your old age as He was in your young age. He'll be the same whether your body is failing or not. But see, very few people have established a relationship with God like that. So one of the things that this does, it really takes away your pride and your boasting in yourself, which is a turnoff to God. It says in James chapter 4, also 1 Peter chapter 5, there are very similar passages of Scripture. It says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. And so God resists you if you are in pride. Pride isn't just arrogance thinking you're better than everybody else. Pride is just self-centeredness. If you take the letters P-R-I-D-E, the center letter is I. The root of pride is just selfishness, self-promotion, thinking that you can do it, depending upon yourself and only turning to God when you get into trouble, after you've made a mess of everything. A better way to live is for you to just come to a place to where, God, I can do nothing without you. You know, Moses is a great example of this because he was asking the Lord to give him a greater revelation of himself. And God said, I will be with you, I, and I will guide you. And Moses' response was, he says, God, if you don't go with us, I'm not moving. In other words, Moses had come to this place to where he didn't do anything unless God was uh, guiding him and promoting him in it. Man, would to God that every one of us did that. And it just so happens that in uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says that Moses 
was the meekest man on the face of the earth. A man who wouldn't do anything. He says, if you don't go with me, I'm not moving. Be honest about this. How many of you sit there and make all kinds of decisions on the house you're going to buy, the place you're going to live, the way you're going to do, things you're going to watch, the friends you have, on and on. You do your own thing. And then when you crash and burn and nothing works out, you come to God and ask for His help. You would have been much better off to have that attitude that, God, I can't do anything without you. That comes from recognizing that apart from God, we were all fallen people and that we were by nature a child of wrath, even as others. And even when you get born again, your spirit's change, but you still have a soul and you have a body that are not totally renewed and is very capable of being used by the devil. And you just need to come to the end of yourself and get to this place to where, God, I'm not moving. I'm not doing anything without you. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. He says, but God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Galatians 6, 14. Is that the attitude that we have? Is that the biblical worldview? This is the Bible way of looking at yourself, that there's nothing good in you except for God. It's only what God has done. You may be good compared to me. You might be more handsome, you might be stronger, you might be a better talker, you might have more talents and abilities, but all of those things are relative to other people. Relative to God, we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God, and God forbid that I should glory in anything in myself. All of my glory needs to go to the Lord. He also said in Philippians chapter 3, last part of verse 3, he says, he has no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. And it wasn't because he had no abilities on his own. You know, for me, it's easy for me to really trust in the Lord because, I, like I said, I've never been the best at anything. And so when God asked me to do the things that I've done and, you know, $120 million worth of assets in the last 10 years or something and things like there's just no way I could do that. And so it's easy for me to trust the Lord because, God, this is way beyond me. But other people who have all of these talents and abilities, they sometimes struggle to say, but it is me. No, it's really not you. God might use some of the things in you. He gave you talents and abilities, but He needs to get all of the credit. And sometimes people that have these great talents and abilities, it's hard for them to depend upon the Lord. But Paul said, I have no confidence in the flesh. And then he says, although I could have confidence in the flesh if anybody else does. And then he started listing some of the things that he had done. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was actually a better performer. His actions had performed better than most of the people he was ministering to. But then he goes on and he says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. 
And see, this goes along perfectly with what he said. You see your calling, brother, and how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the weak things of the world, foolish things of the world. All of these things that are despised hath God chosen. And yea, things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. It all comes down to that we need to give God all of the credit. You need to have no confidence in yourself. You know, I haven't got time to go into it right here, but I'd need to mention this, that among Christians, you will find many Christians that have these self-help groups, self-improvement groups, and they come and it's all about, you got to feel good about yourself. I believe that this is a result of psychology. Psychology has taught people that, you know, low self-esteem is what causes depression and causes all of these things and all of this. And so you just got to feel good about yourself at all costs. And the way psychology does this, they don't bring God into it. Matter of fact, the very word psychology, psyche was the name of the Roman God of the soul. It's not talking about your spirit. It doesn't even acknowledge that you have a spirit. According to psychology, you're just an evolved animal. You've got a physical body and an inner mind and emotion, but they don't acknowledge that you're a spirit, that it's a spiritual problem. And so the way they try and get you to feel good about yourself at all costs is to blame other people. It's not my fault. I was abused when I was a child. It's the same thing that Adam did when God said, what have you done? He says, it's that woman that you gave me. He tried to place the blame on the woman and then eventually uh, put the blame on God it's that blame game. I'm not responsible for my actions. No, you are responsible for your actions. Other people may have given you opportunities, but you have a choice whether you become bitter or better every single time. And so anyway, we've got to recognize that it's all this self-centeredness that causes these problems in our life, and we have to get over that. The way you do that is to recognize that the only good thing in you is Jesus. You know, let me share some things, and just for time's sake, I'm not going to turn over here and read all of these verses, but I encourage you to read in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, all the way through Judges chapter 21, verse 25. And if you're familiar with these passages of scriptures, these are some of the weirdest passages of scripture in the entire Bible. I mean, for decades, I struggled to understand, God, why did you even put this in the Bible? Let me real quickly just tell you what this is talking about. In the 17th chapter, it talks about a Levite, a preacher, who went out and basically sold himself. If somebody will let me live with you, and if you'll take care of me, I'll help you worship your idols. And he gave himself over to idolatry. And uh, anyway, there's a number of things said. But in the 19th chapter, you find an instance where a Levite, another preacher, he had a concubine, which the Bible says in Mark chapter 10, that God never wanted men to have more than one wife. He, he allowed that because of the hardness of people's hearts, but it was never God's plan. So this man was outside of God's will. He had wives, concubines. One of his concubines committed adultery on him, went and had a relationship with somebody else. And for fear of him, she fled back to her father's house and uh, hid there so that uh, she wouldn't have any reprisals from her husband. After a period of time, he felt compassion for her, so he went to her father's house and spoke peaceably to him, and the father was so overjoyed that he was going to take his wife back, his concubine back, 
that uh, he stayed there and entertained him for three or four days. The guy tried to go back home, take his concubine back with him, and the father wouldn't let him. And so finally, he left late in the day one day, and he wasn't able to make it all the way home. And let me just uh, reference all of this by saying in Judges 17, 6, the beginning of these passages I told you to look at, and then in Judges 21, 25, they're identical verses. They're like bookends that all of this is put in between this. It says this. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So you've got to put it in this context. Back in these days, there was no law. Any man could do anything he wanted to. And because of it, there was lawlessness. There was ungodliness everywhere. And so this man couldn't make it all the way back to his home in one day. He had to turn into a, a city called Gibeah. It was in the tribe of Benjamin. And he went into a man's home, and this man was letting him and his concubine and his servant stay in his home. And the men of the city came and beat on the door and said, Bring this man that came into the city out that we may know him. The NIV says so that we can have sex with him. It was talking about homosexuality. And the man whose house he was staying in, he says, You can't do this. He says, Take my daughter instead. And then the man, the Levite, says, Well, take my concubine instead of me. And it only records the concubine going out, but he actually gave his concubine to these men, and they abused her all night long, had sex with her, did terrible things to her. In the morning, she crawled back to the house where her master was staying, and she put her hands on the threshold of the door, but she died right there. So in the morning, the Levite got up, and he was just going to leave. It says he got up to leave. I don't guess he was even going to go check on his concubine and see what had happened to her. But when he opened up the door, there she was laying on the doorstep. So he just spoke to her. He didn't reach down to comfort her to do anything. He just says, rise and let us be going. And she didn't respond. He checked her out, found out she was dead. So he put her on his donkey, took her home. And when he got home, he took a knife and cut her body into 12 pieces and sent these 12 pieces of her body to all of the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it incensed them so much, they said nothing like this had ever been done before. They turned up 400,000 soldiers strong and says, what is the meaning of this? And he told them what the people of Gibeah had done. And because there was no law, it was just up to them to enforce it if you didn't like something. So these 400,000 men went down and they told the people of Benjamin, you surrender the, these evil men that did this out of the city of Gibeah. And they said, we won't do it. And so a war ensued. And 40,000 of the 400,000 were killed in the war. 26,100 of the men of Benjamin were killed. And eventually the rest of the Israelites won this war. But there was only 600 Benjamites that escaped to this rock that was a defensive position, and they couldn't get them out of there. And finally, their anger, their emotion wore off, and they began to realize that, you know what? We've nearly wiped out an entire tribe in Israel. They killed all of the women and children of the people of Benjamin. So all there was left of this tribe was 600 men that were in this fortified position. And so they finally felt bad about what they had done, and they said, what can we do? We've sworn that we would never let one of our 
daughters be married to a Benjamite. And so these men are eventually going to die out. And there's a tribe of Israel that's going to go missing. What do we do? So you know what they did? They went down and they conquered one of their own cities. There was one city that didn't send anybody to fight with them against the Benjamites. So they went down and in punishment for that, they killed all of the women and children in that village and they took the young virgins. There was 400 of them and gave these young girls to these 600 guys, but they were still short. They didn't have enough women. So they finally told the Benjamites, all right, we're going to not fight you anymore and we want you to come down. And in this festival, all of the young girls, the virgins come out and they dance before the Lord. And when they do that, you hide in the uh, trees and in the bushes and you come out and you take all of the young virgins that you want to for your wives. So they kidnapped them and they said, if the parents and the brothers of these young girls say anything, this 400,000 soldiers will be there to defend you and keep them from executing judgment on you. Now that is strange. And I read that for years wondering, God, why is that in there? You know why it's in there? Just like these verses, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is given to show you what man, mankind is like without God. When there was no law, when there's no civil judgment, again, Romans chapter 13 makes it very clear that the Lord established government to be a terror to those that have evil works and to cause them to withdraw from their sin. Law Government is a restraint on sin. Without sin, when there is no king, when there is no civil government, and everybody does what's right in their own eyes, this is what it leads to. It's not put in there to say that this was God approving of it, that this was the way it was supposed to be. It was put in there to show you how bad people are without the influence of God upon their life. And again, this has implications for us individually, but it also has implications for us as a society. Individually, you need to recognize that you can't save yourself. It's not a matter of you turning over a new leaf. That won't wipe out your past. You need a savior. You need to be born again. You can't trust in yourself. It's not your goodness. Good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. Forgiven people go to heaven and only people who rejected or refused that forgiveness go to hell. You need a savior. And that's not only true on a personal level, that's true on a society level, that society needs laws. We need standards, and we don't need to reinvent and say that now marriage is between two men or two women or between a man and a dog or between, you know, adults and children. No, we need the standards. We need the laws that God established. And without that, society is unruled, and the things that were recorded here in Judges chapter 19 through 21 those things are capable of happening. We see our society going that direction because people are getting away from the Word of God and away from the standards of God. They're getting away from a biblical worldview, a biblical standard of morality. And that's the reason that I'm making this entire series on a biblical worldview. We need to recognize that, man, without God, our lives are a mess. We are incapable of anything on our own. And in society, without God, now, people who don't have any internal restraints, you can't put enough laws on the outside to control them. You need to have your heart changed. You need to recognize that we need a Savior. And even after we get born again, 
WE NEED THE HOLY SPIRIT. WE NEED THE COMMUNION OF OUR BROTHERS AND SISTERS. WE NEED THE STANDARDS OF THE WORD OF GOD AND THESE THINGS TO HELP US MANIFEST WHAT GOD HAS PUT ON THE INSIDE OF US. I TELL YOU, THESE ARE POWERFUL THINGS THAT I'VE SAID ABOUT THE FALLEN NATURE OF MAN. PRAISE GOD. THIS SERIES ON BIBLICAL WORLDVIEW, I BELIEVE, IS JUST ESSENTIAL, THAT EVERY SINGLE PERSON NEEDS THIS. YOU NEED IT TO GO OVER IT MULTIPLE TIMES, AND YOU ALSO NEED IT TO BE ABLE TO SHARE WITH OTHER PEOPLE. AND WE'VE GOT THIS BRAND NEW PRODUCT OUT, BIBLICAL WORLDVIEW, THAT HAS THE AUDIO OF EVERYTHING THAT WE'VE TAUGHT. IT HAS THIS WORKBOOK HERE WHERE EVERYTHING IS PRINTED OUT. YOU CAN UNDERLINE IT. YOU CAN USE IT AS A REFERENCE AND STUDY. AND SPECIFICALLY, YOU CAN TEACH OTHER PEOPLE WITH THIS. AND THEN ALSO, THERE'S A PLACE YOU CAN GO TO OUR WEBSITE AND IT'LL GIVE YOU A LINK SO THAT YOU CAN GET ALL OF THESE VIDEOS OF THIS TEACHING. TODAY'S OUR LAST DAY TO MAKE THIS PRODUCT AVAILABLE THROUGH OUR TELEVISION BROADCAST. SO PLEASE LISTEN TO OUR ANNOUNCER AND PLEASE CALL OUR RIGHT TODAY AND RECEIVE THESE MATERIALS. TODAY, ANDREW'S PLEASED TO OFFER HIS HIGHLY ANTICIPATED SERIES, BIBLICAL WORLDVIEW, FOUNDATIONAL TRUTHS. IN THIS SERIES, ANDREW OUTLINES THE IMPORTANCE FOR EVERY CHRISTIAN BELIEVER TO HAVE A BIBLICAL WORLDVIEW. EACH OF THE 12 LESSONS IN THIS SERIES INCLUDE A VIDEO, AUDIO FILE, CHAPTER LESSON, AND PRINTABLE PDF WRAPPED IN A SINGLE BOX SET CONTAINING A WORKBOOK, AUDIO USB, AND A PERSONAL ACCESS CODE TO THE ONLINE VIDEOS. EACH LESSON IS FULL OF SUPPORTING FACTS, QUOTES, CHARTS, AND HISTORIC VISUALS. Through the online platform, you'll have lifetime access to all of the videos and digital workbooks on your computer or smart device. Biblical Worldview Foundational Truths is available for only $120. Go to awmi.net to order this valuable resource today for you or someone you love. I'd like to ask you to pray about becoming a partner with us. YOU KNOW, OUR MINISTRY IS BASED IN THE UNITED STATES, BUT WE HAVE 16 OFFICES AROUND THE WORLD. WE'VE GOT ALL TOGETHER AROUND 70 BIBLE SCHOOLS SCATTERED AROUND THE WORLD, AND WE ACTUALLY REACH MORE PEOPLE OUTSIDE OF THE U.S. THAN WE DO IN THE U.S., AND WE NEED PARTNERS TO ENABLE US TO DO THAT. AND SO I'D LIKE TO ENCOURAGE YOU TO JOIN WITH US. THERE ARE GREAT BENEFITS TO YOU BEING A PARTNER, NOT ONLY IN ETERNITY, BUT HERE IN THIS LIFE. SO IF YOU ARE LOOKING FOR A GOOD RETURN ON YOUR INVESTMENT, I BELIEVE THAT THIS IS A GOOD MINISTRY. IT'LL TOUCH YOU RIGHT WHERE YOU ARE. SO JOIN WITH US AND BECOME A PARTNER WITH US TODAY. YOU CAN BECOME A GRACE PARTNER OR ORDER RESOURCES THROUGH OUR WEBSITE AT AWMI.NET OR CALL OUR HELPLINE MONDAY THROUGH FRIDAY FROM 4.30 A.M. TO 9.30 P.M. MOUNTAIN TIME AT 719 635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God already had determined a purpose for your life, a God-given purpose. God has a purpose to train you in what you're called to do, and I tell you, Karis Bible College is the place for that. Man, if you want a life change, come to Karis. Come on to Karis! The next two to three years could be the most powerful time of your life. 
you sit under the Word for four hours a day, for five days a week, for two or three years, I guarantee you, you are going to have God speak to you and start revealing purpose to you. Every one of you are created for a purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? I'd like to invite you to join me on September the 28th through October the 2nd in Woodbridge, Virginia, and I'm going to be there with Randy Clark for the Voice of the Apostles event. This will be my first time to be a part of it. We had Randy at our facility here in Woodland Park, and I tell you, God touched a lot of people's lives through him. I'm excited to be a part of their event. I encourage you to come and join us and get ready to be blessed.